It's been an utter and growing mess, and now there's every reason to believe this thing is finally getting started. Now, next week, the Federal Reserve is going to meet the FOMC, the policymaking body of the central bank, and very likely they're going to announce another rate hike, probably 50 basis points, maybe a little bit less, depending on the mood of policymakers, as well as the CPI report, which comes out between now and then. But either way, the markets are rejecting the Federal Reserve's rate hikes, along with the interpretation that now that they've gotten rates up, they're going to keep them up for a substantial period of time. Not only are the markets rejecting that, that hypothesis, that idea, they're betting aggressively against it. And really to understand why, we're going to have to go back to, and I hesitate to do this, we're going to have to go back to 2007 to make some comparisons because really those are the only comparable period. That's the only comparable period with what we're seeing today. And in many ways, in some of the places like Eurodollar futures, which we'll focus on today, this is really unprecedented. Now, I hesitate to go back to 2007 because as soon as you do, you bring up the 2008 crisis, everybody thinks Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, all that. We're, we're not saying that the 2008 monetary crisis is going to repeat, merely that we have to go back to that period because, as I said, that's the only comparable. The market, financial, money, and economic uncertainties, dangers, uh, potential, negatives, all of those things are as comparable today as they were back then, if for somewhat different reasons, although somewhat, quite a few of them that are actually the same <clears throat> collateral. Either way, let's do some review about 2007, Eurodollar futures, and then we'll talk about what's going on right now that actually suggests that comparison. First, of course, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. If you're interested, all the behind-the-scenes stuff, details, scholarship, education about the Eurodollar system, how money works, and the, and the gross macro, macroeconomic implications of all that, memberships at Eurodollar University. Information is at our website, which is eurodollar.university, conveniently enough. We also offer research subscriptions, more focused about what's going on today, how you can interpret all of these signals and understand what's going on right now so that you can be prepared for, like we are going to do today, what it means for the, the intermediate and near-term future. All of the information available, eurodollar.university. So appropriately enough, we'll start with Eurodollar futures. And we'll look at Eurodollar futures and how that curve evolved from 2006 into 2007 and then into the early stages of 2008 when the Fed began aggressively cutting rates. Because you cannot take the Eurodollar futures curve literally. It doesn't literally say that if the contract strike price is 98, for example, it doesn't mean that at that maturity, the market expects three-month library to be exactly 2%. What it's saying is that there's a range of probabilities starting at 2%, could be higher, could be lower, depending on what the shape of the curve is. If we go back to 2006, the Federal Reserve was somewhat aggressively hiking rates. They hiked rates at a 25 basis point per meeting every single meeting over 17 consecutive meetings from the middle of 2004. So that was somewhat aggressive. 
And for the largely the same reasons as we hear about today, the Federal Reserve said inflation is our biggest risk. But that, of course, led Greenspan into his conundrum, which was only a conundrum to Greenspan because the market was then, as now, rejecting his premise about the risks to the economy. Instead, the Treasury curve and the Eurodollar futures curve began to invert, which was their way of saying, <clears throat> Alan, you might want to look at this whole housing bubble thing over here because that's making us very, very nervous. It's making us so nervous, we're willing to hedge today that interest rates are going to go down. That's what the hedge means. The, the hedge pays off if interest rates go down. And enough participants in these markets began hedging in that way all the way in 2006, almost immediately, even before the final rate hike that the Fed had, had done under Ben Bernanke, middle of 2006, the market began hedging against that whole housing bubble thing that could possibly go wrong, even as Ben Bernanke taking over for Alan Greenspan said, no, there's nothing to worry about here. Housing prices have never declined. Now, as the Eurodollar futures curve evolved, in, as with events into 2007, that whole subprime is contained speech in March of 2007, you saw inversion get bigger and bigger and bigger, but still it wasn't hugely aggressive until you get to around June and July 2007. That is where things got interesting, and that is where the market said, this is it. We've had enough. We've listened to subprime is contained. We've listened to the idea that inflation is the greatest risk. We've seen data start to go soft, especially the household survey, despite what the establishment survey said. So there were economic accounts that were confirming something bad was going on. Even if it wasn't obvious, even if the data was ambiguous, the market more and more hedged against this thing spilling over into a not just a recession, but a nasty recession along with what became the global monetary, not financial crisis. So aggressively, look at the Eurodollar futures curve, aggressively inverting from June forward. So by the time we get to the first Federal Reserve rate hike in September of 2000, or excuse me, rate cut in September of 2007, the Eurodollar futures curve aggressively inverted. But notice how it was inverted. Notice where that aggressive came from. It started sort of from the middle and it worked its way toward the front. So between June and September, you see the middle of the curve start to sink, whereas the front of the curve kind of sticks to where it is. And it actually rose a little bit after August 9th because three-month LIBOR obviously spiked in response to what became the global monetary crisis. But either way, the important thing to keep in mind here as the rate cuts got sooner and closer and anticipated to be closer, that's what happened to the Eurodollar futures curve. It started to really sink and sag in that front middle piece, really the first four to five to six contracts. And what that said was the market was not only more and more certain this thing was happening, it was more and more certain this thing was happening in a way that would give policymakers first of all, pause about their own positions and then enough doubt and plant enough seeds of doubt in their mind that they would begin to cut rates. Now, after the Fed started, look at what happened to the Eurodollar futures curve from September 2007 forward. Things didn't improve. The Fed thought rate cuts would be a powerful stimulus that would help 
whether help the economy, whether this housing bubble thing they said was no big deal. Always behind the curve, these people. And the market said, no, these rate cuts are not helping. In fact, it's getting worse. But look at how the curve behavior changes after the first rate cut into up until March of 2008, when Bear Stearns finally ended its independent existence in the middle of that month. Once the rate cut started, the, the euro dollar futures curve bet on more and more and more of them. So the entire curve, at least the front of the curve, began to sink down lower and lower and lower. So where we started up until the first rate hikes pressuring from the middle toward the front, once the rate hike started, it was the front sagging down lower and lower. And then the Federal Reserve following afterward. That's the thing here. The markets lead the policymakers in the direction the markets believe are the greatest risks because those risks become reality. And remember what they said in 2007. The, the 2007 Fed fought this the entire way. They said, no, 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 no. The data doesn't look that bad. Sure, it looks pretty soft. As I talked about in a recent video, the October 2007 meeting where the policymakers gathered and said, we can't figure out why the market is so aggressively betting on rate cuts. I mean, we're going to offer another rate cut in October, but you know that's pretty much it. We're done here when the market was saying, nope, more rate cuts will be forthcoming because the conditions are deteriorating. That's really the message that we need to take away from the curve behavior uh, into 2022, as I'll get to in just a minute. But first, it was William Poole, the old St. Louis Fed president, who, if they had only listened, if he only listened to himself, explained perfectly what was going on in the marketplace. He said, I'll offer a hypothesis, which is that a number of people who are players in this market, like my contact at a large bank, are looking at news and saying the proprietary inside information they have on what's going on leads them to believe that the overall economy has a soft tone to it that is not yet showing up in the data that we follow. And that was an incredible understatement because the euro dollar futures curve from around September, before the first rate cut was, was begun, it was inverted by 141 and change basis points. That's a massive, massive inversion. And again, most of that in the first four contracts. So the market wasn't just saying a soft tone to the data. It's saying the data doesn't look like what the real economy is shifting into. But the data will begin to look like that in a short amount of time. That's what the curve was saying. William Poole was exactly right. Markets were hedging on what they could see that we can't. We being anybody outside of the real commercial marketplace, policymakers, the public, the financial media, you and me, whoever it happens to be. That's why we pay so much attention to these markets and these market curves because there is trillions of dollars at stake here in being absolutely correct. And in the 2007-2008 situation, being correct meant staying in business. It meant not being Bear Stearns. It, mean living to fight, it meant living to fight another day along for those, uh, those, those fortunate few speculators who were making a killing betting against the Fed. Don't fight the Fed? Hell no. There is so much money in fighting the Fed that these curves are doing it on a regular basis, especially during these cycles. And just to, just to put one more piece of emphasis here on how behind the curve policymakers are, 
as these curves were sinking, correctly deducing that the Federal Reserve was going to cut rates long before the Fed thought they would, understanding the economic, financial, and more importantly, the monetary situation that was causing all of this upset, the markets were aggressive, were betting aggressively that the eventual consequences would be pretty severe. Policymakers, on the other hand, continued to believe this was all a big nothing, even as they aggressively cut rates in the first half of 2008. Up until Bear Stearns failed, they had thought that was it. They had successfully, they had successfully sheltered the economy and monetary system from the full, full range of consequences such that June of two, late June of 2008, here's a quote from the FOMC, uh, the Director of Monetary Affairs, Mr. Brian Madigan said, he, as he told the FOMC, most of you think the economy will skirt recession. They believe what they believe, regardless of what goes on in reality, which is why it is oftentimes so very difficult for markets to assess when will the Fed come around to reality? That's really what the, what the question is today, not about reality, but when the Fed will figure out what reality has turned into. So let's move forward into 2022's Eurodollar inversion, which is aggressively obscene, absurd, unprecedented, huge. There are just no words for this. Top to bottom, it's 208 basis points. But putting this on a comparable basis, from the peak, which is right now the June 2023 contract, down the next three contracts, so similar terms to what I was talking about for the 2007 period, the, uh, the, the uh, curve inversion is about 96 basis points from June 23 to, uh, uh, yeah, June 23 to March 24th, so the next three contracts after the peak inversion. And it's 137 and a half basis points to the fourth contract, which is absolutely, that's, that's beyond what we thought, what we saw in 2007. But remember what I said, we don't take these curves literally. The market is not saying that it expects the peak rate to be in June 2023 and that rates are going to fall in the second half of next year. That's not what it's saying. What the market is saying is that once rates begin to fall, they are in every likelihood to start falling aggressively. There is still uncertainty at the front end of the curve, which it's very difficult to discern when, to discern when these empty suits at the Fed finally get hit over the head enough times with reality that they finally see the light. That's the difficult part which is puzzling the markets. And that's why we still have some upward slope in the front end of the curve. But what is not in doubt and what is no question is what happens once the Fed starts cutting. That's the downward slope from there, which is alarming, aggressively alarming. Once the rate cut starts, it's almost certain that we're going to go into zero rates and QEs and all that stuff again, which then raises the question that we've been asking ever since the first inversion showed up a while ago, which is, what is it that causes Jay Powell to say, oh my God, I need to start cutting rates? And we know what it was in 2007, 2008. It wasn't subprime mortgages. It was the fact that the monetary and financial system was falling apart massive disruptions in the key deep 
deeply fundamental parts of the global system. We've got inklings of that already right now. I've talked about WTI Contango. That's another one about demand, macro data. Also, I should point out right now, I've talked about this before, so I won't get into it in detail here. Four-week treasury bill rate today is under 370. And intraday, we saw another scramble for collateral. To put that in perspective, RRP right now is 380. And one week from today, RRP is supposed to be like 430, maybe you know somewhere around there. How is the four-week treasury bill flirting with 370? Got collateral problems up the wazoo. But the, the data I want to get into, the final piece of, the, of today's video here, macro stuff. The trade data that came from China and Taiwan and other places around the world last night, truly awful, which suggests, like late in 2007, that the thing that everybody, including the market, was hedging against isn't no, is no longer a future tense worry concern down the road. It may be starting to happen right now. The China data, exports were down 8.7% year over year. Not good, especially since that's in nominal terms, including prices. Uh, but here's the big one. Hold your, hold your nose, hold your ears, whatever, cover your eyes. Exports to the U.S. were down 25.4% year over year. And I know what lockdowns, restrictions, pandemic, whatever. Nope. Because we didn't see any types of, we didn't see anywhere close to this type of disruption, even in April when all of the major ports were closed. This is something worse. And it wasn't just China to the U.S. China exports to Europe down 10.6% year over year. These are big numbers, especially U.S. data down 25.4%. And as my good friend Mike in Canada had uh, emailed me the other day, article in CNBC, which means which makes it seem like it might even get worse really quickly. Uh, the quote from that, U.S. manufacturing orders in China are down 40%. According to the latest CNBC supply chain heat map data, as a, decrease, as a result of the decrease in order, worldwide logistics tells CNBC it is expecting Chinese factories to shut down two weeks earlier than usual for the Chinese Lunar New Year, which is in next January. Now, Taiwan reported exports that were down 13.1%. If you look at container prices, container prices, which were last year in September and early October, around 20,000 per standard container unit from China, East Asia to the U.S. West Coast, which is where most of the trade goes. As of today, according to Fredo's, their Baltic index, less than 1,500 per container. So something big has happened, at least in terms of global trade, very recently, November. While these curves were becoming aggressively obscene, we saw things happen in the real economy that the data is just now starting to suggest, just now starting to catch up to where the curves are. Going back to William Poole one more time, a number of people who are players in this market, like my contact at a large bank, looking at the news and saying that the proprietary inside information they have on what's going on leads them to believe that the overall economy has plummeted and cratered and crashed that's not yet showing up in all the data that the FOMC follows, but if it, it is starting to show up in some of the data that anybody else can. So we have massive monetary disruption potential, I'm not saying there's gonna be Lehman Brothers or Bank Feathers, I don't think that's gonna happen, but there, are, as I talked about yesterday, with that $80 trillion in 
hidden money derivatives, this offshore Eurodollar stuff that we talk about at Eurodollar University, we know very well the monetary risks combined with the economic risks and the curves look like they do, which is in some ways worse than late 2007. I'm Jeff, thank you for joining me. As always, huge thank you to our Eurodollar University members, as well as all the Markets Insider Pro subscribers and the Eurodollar uh, Deep Dive Analysis subscribers. Until next time, take care.